Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. I need you to picture a scene. Okay, okay are, is it 1942 Sicily, Sophia? <laughs> <laughs> no, it is not 1940. Actually, it is last weekend. Last weekend. It is last weekend. And you are the vice president of global product development at General Motors. Okay. And we'll even nice get more promotion. specific. We'll even get more specific than that. Your name is Mark Roos. Oh, and I don't look like a Mark. Your company is the title sponsor for the IndyCar Duel in Detroit race, and it yes. is race number two. And you have been offered the opportunity, which you accept, to drive the pace car, a Chevy Corvette ZR1, to start. The IndyCar race. Did he crash? At turn one. Oh! To start the race. Not all of the cars managed to make it out of the pit because he crashed. (laughs) Oh! Delayed the race by 27 minutes. Now, everyone is fine. There were no injuries except to the car and to... um, His pride. Mark's pride. (laughs) Oh! That's that's like embarrassing. You'd think they would have practiced that. You know, I don't know if you can. Driving? Yes. No. Yes, you can practice driving. <laughs> no. Keep keep in mind <clears throat> that the the duel in Detroit does not run on a dedicated racetrack. It's a street course on Belle Isle. Yeah. And <clears throat> it does not normally run in the same direction that traffic runs. So it's not like you can practice taking out a Corvette on the streets of Belle Isle in the park, because it's a park, and practice that turn at speed multiple times beforehand and maybe without the walls there so that if you screw it up, you don't bend the car. I think, I could be wrong, that they probably close the roads... They in, do. In anticipation for this. And there's probably some wee morning hours that nothing is happening on the track that they could get somebody out there and say, well, give yet, it a shot. yes, but the, the yes, but is my understanding is that we hours at Bell Isle Park in Detroit is not somewhere that you want to be without, oh, I don't know, the 3rd Infantry Division is protection. It could be arranged. It, it, it's not. Now, I would assume on a race weekend when there's a lot of stuff there that it is more secure than normal. That would be my However, Bella, okay, j- just to, to put things in perspective, there is a Coast Guard small boat station on Belle Isle Park. It's, it's just off the track. Okay. Surrounding the facility for the security not of – the folks in the park, but the Coast Guard station is like a 20-foot-tall chain-link fence with barbed wire at the top. Considering most fences are like 10 feet tall, oh. yeah, it, it, it's not a good place. Aren't we glad we have a race there? Yeah. Well, again, I'm sure race weekends, with the added population and stuff that's going on, some of the other unseemly activities that occur at Belle Isle are relocate to other areas of the city. <laughs> all right, all you criminals, get in the car. <laughs> We're going to move you. <laughs> uh-huh. 
Well, nobody actually lives on Belle Isle. So that's the thing. So if IndyCar comes in and sets up and they've got all of their stuff there and folks are camping out on the island and there's security there to secure all of the folks, it kind of acts as a deterrent to all of the other stuff that tends to come in at night. Lending more credence to my statement of there are probably wee hours during race weekend that Mark could have gotten behind the wheel of a car and at least tried it. They would have needed to take the walls away because the walls were still there. So Will Power, who he, he is somewhat familiar with, with driving the track at Belle Isle, he, he commented on it. Okay. So... He said it's very easy to do as you go over that crest, and the traction control must have been turned off. So, yeah, I felt wasn't really his fault. It's just such a bad corner. Like, it's very easy to do. You know, that's racing right. I've seen plenty of pace car crashes. Like, I've seen plenty of people coming off in the wet and crash and not abnormal. Isn't that sweet of him? So, yeah, even though it embarrassed him trashed a, a fairly expensive car it's just delayed a the it's race not a real car. Dela- no it's not a real sports car it's a real car it's it's not imaginary <laughs> if, if, if you walk into one it will hurt <laughs> <laughs> it, it is capable of going fast in the straight line but as it just proved when it comes to a turn yeah that, that not really it, it, it's strong point <laughs> turning <laughs> So, yeah. So, on to Formula One. Mm-hmm. We spoke, what, in the fall? Or was it in the winter? We spoke a couple of months ago about um, an energy drink, another energy drink company trying to get into Formula One and possibly buying Force India. Correct. To which Force India said, yeah, we had some talks, but nobody really agreed on anything, so... It, nothing. Nothing's really happening here. Okay. Well, the um, William Story, who runs uh, Rich Energy, spoke to the Daily Telegraph this week. And he said, in light of ill-informed media speculation and certain external moves to destabilize the team, I can confirm that Rich Energy made an official offer to buy force india formula one team at the end of april this offer was accepted in principle and we are close to finalizing purchase with sales purchase and agreement we have deposited funds considerably in excess of the purchase price and will invest an additional eight figure amount in the team he said he also had some outside sponsorships uh, with a long-term business plan that not only includes their beverage brand but two multinational car corporate sponsors who are not currently in Formula One. He said, we have found the shareholders to be excellent people with the teams and employees' best interest at heart. We aim to conclude a deal as soon as practicable and lawyers approve. Okay, so that's coming from one side of the house. Bob Fernley, on the other hand, had a comment. Okay. His comment. It's no secret that they've been interested, but so have other people. There's nothing moving forward to my knowledge. We have not been instructed about anything yet. All those issues are dealt with by the shareholders. They're not a team issue. So we don't have any involvement in it at all. 
And then VJ Malia, as you recall, last week saying, rumors keep going on and on and on and people talk and talk and talk. That's what the F1 paddock is about. The finance of Force India, whether I'm selling or not selling, has been a matter of speculation on and off for years. We don't go around with a for sale sign. Okay, but that's none of that answers whether or not they're actually selling. Bob doesn't know. Bob's not confirming and says he doesn't know, but also says I wouldn't be in the know because I'm not a shareholder. Yeah. And VJ Malia basically said, well, we haven't wandered around the paddock with a for sale sign on our backs, but it's all speculation. I don't know. I, I think I got to go with William Story's statement to the Daily Telegraph. I would that too. Something is certainly afoot over there, and it could be possible that this could be another change in the financial stylings of VJ Malia. I think that's definitely the case. Something is happening. That yeah. is what we can report today. I, I got to wonder, based on their comments, how this would affect existing sponsors like BWT. Especially since they're the reason why the car is pink. Well, the thing is, you would think that the existing sponsors have value to anybody that's looking to buy the team. Unless they are in direct conflict with the team, you would want to keep your existing sponsors. Uh, Just con see, contractual reasons. Yeah. See McLaren? Yeah. Well, what, what I don't know is... The other big sponsor that Force India talks about quite a bit is Hype Energy Drinks. Mm. I don't know if Rich and Hype are the same company. I'm not familiar with the brands. So that would be one area that I would have some question about. But could you imagine that? Two energy drink companies owning Formula One teams? Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah, when they start figuring out how to use their energy drink as fuel, then... That could be very interesting. Well, that that's when fuel energy drink comes into the... Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so this week, what, this past week, was the FIA Sport Conference in Manila, in the Philippines. Okay. For the most part, not notable, except there has been a lot of comment about Formula One and racing in general, obviously being, you know, the FIA's sporting conference. Yeah. Um, not Formula One related, but related to what they're doing, and some th th you know there's been talk for years about bringing Formula One to the Olympics. Which, yes, Formula One is a sport. I agree, and it's demanding and all that stuff. I think it's dumb to bring it to the Olympics. I don't really agree with that. I don't think we have anything else with an engine in the Olympics to make precedent. For that's it. that's the thing is. I don't – to my understanding, everything in the Olympics is primarily human-powered. Mm -hmm. You know, it is human achievement, human precision, human accuracy. And, yeah, I get that there is some degree of that in auto racing in general. The reality is these aren't human-powered cars. They're human-controlled cars, but they're not human-powered cars. So I don't – necessarily think that it makes sense to bring auto racing of any flavor into the olympics that being said the fia has announced that they are bringing electric karting to the 2018 youth olympics okay 
And I didn't know there was a youth Olympics that was different from the regular Olympics because they have some pretty young folks who compete in the regular Olympics, but. I don't know. I mean, that's maybe where the two youths compete. Maybe. Now, John Todd has been pushing very hard for this. Um, he's also been pushing in general for autosport to be a part of the Olympics. Now, he does point out that the FIA is a member of the International Olympic Committee's Association of Recognized International Sports Federations. And there is an acronym to that. I'm it, not going there. Um, <laughs> but he said, in that request, recognized as such by the International Olympic Committee. So... Okay, so it's recognized as a sport by the International Olympic Committee. That doesn't mean that every recognized sport is in the Olympics. True. And I think when we talked about the Olympics the last time, you and I both agreed that um, if any form of motorsport was to come into the Olympics, we would vote for carts. Yeah, I think so. I, I think carts makes sense. Um, so as we know, there's been a lot of talk about Formula One and what it should look like in 2021. Well, there was a lot of talk and discussion about what Formula One may be looking like in the future. So the latest comments have come from FIA sporting and, and Formula One sporting director Steve Nielsen. Now, he used to work for Renault, for Toro Rosso, Williams, and other teams before joining Formula One management. Um, he said he, he, for starters, explained how fans have been asked for their input into proposed changes. Now, we know that this is dangerous. Mm, asking fans. And, yeah. Bad. But what they're looking at is that they're, they're and, and still, even though we think it's dumb, or we don't think it's wise, I should say, they're looking at maybe changing the weekend format. How much free practice should there be? How many races should they have? Should there be more than one formula race on a weekend? And what should qualifying be? He said, we have our own ideas, but we want to gauge opinion and as many opinions as possible. He says, Formula One must be open to change in response to dwindling audiences. Viewing figures were declining. There has been an improvement, but Formula One needs to change to engage with a wider audience. There are many people under the age of 30 for whom Formula One is of little interest. We need to retain the core values of the sport while at the same time appealing to a younger audience. If we neglect that the, that, the sport will be in trouble. It is a difficult line to walk, but that is what we have to do. Perhaps that does mean shorter races or slightly less free practice, more sudden death situations. People engage with sport in a lot of different ways, and they don't necessarily want to give up a Sunday afternoon or a Saturday afternoon to do it. So every idea has to be on the table. If teams work until midnight on a Friday, no one sees any of that. Teams do it because the regulations allow for it. If those eight hours of work were suddenly limited to two hours, well, F1 teams are very smart organizations, and they would very quickly modify their procedures to fit that. In terms of technology, if a Formula One car has five types of front wing and three types of rear wing, the viewer doesn't know that when he watches the race on Sunday. It makes no difference to the show. He also says that cutting the official length of race weekends could also help teams by reducing the demands on staff. Purely on the team side, there are fewer and fewer people on 
that would choose to make a career out of being a Formula One mechanic or engineer because it's less of a sustainable career choice than it was perhaps 10 years ago when there were 16 or 17 races. That The chances to draw breath and spend some time with family that happened four or five times a year now only occur in August during the shutdown. And the more we expand the calendar, the more that shutdown is going to get squeezed. Ultimately, if we were to leave the race weekend as it is, there would really be a very limited number of people that want to do F1 as a career choice. So there's a bunch of different things there. Okay. I, I, I agree that they may want it, that they need to make sure that they're getting a younger audience in. Mm -hmm. Yes, 30-somethings, 20 and 30-somethings are a valuable field if you ask the marketing experts. Mm -hmm. They also don't tend to have a whole <clears throat> lot of money. They don't, but, you know, going back to what we said many years ago with Bernie and his Rolex comments, I don't think that this is the market that you target. You need to take that. Looking at the 30-somethings is, I think, the, the same short-term view that Bernie was taking looking at the Rolex crowd. You need to look younger. You need to look at the families. Disney has learned and several other companies have learned, including McDonald's, that when it comes to the families, it's not mom and dad that make those that drive those decisions. And not they may the make those decisions. But not for the entertainment dollar. But they don't drive those decisions. So if you target the younger crowd mm -hmm. and you make Formula One in many respects more family friendly and more family attractive you'll hook the, them at a younger age and you won't have to worry about losing the 30 somethings when they become 30 right um one thing i do want to mention is i get the point about number of races on a calendar and what it does to the staff of mm -hmm. these organizations i would challenge that there's a tipping point at which point you have two staffs if you want to continue to add races, you're going to have to start looking at a rotational system so that people do get time off during the time, and that will make it more attractive. But, yeah, I agree that th there's, there's two problems with that. One is cost. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have you're to— You have the cost—if you go to—you got 21 races this year. If you go to 30 races in a season— and let's just pretend for a second you had two teams, 15 races per team. That would actually cost you about the same as having one person do all 30 races if you paid them, did the pay structure the correct way. Yeah, but it, it's also not just the team. I mean, the team personnel are a big part of it and the engineers and the mechanics and all. But what about the drivers? It, it, I mean, at some point, the drivers need some downtime. And. Yes, Fernando Alonso's schedule is going to be grueling, and I think there's going to be an impact coming soon around that. Um, I don't have anything in about the latest rumors swirling around Fernando, but we'll talk about that in a little bit anyway. Um, I, I, I think there's going to be some impact. I honestly think after Le Mans, um, Fernando may rethink some of his choices for the future, or his plans for the future may become... Um, a bit more crystallized for him. Well, if he wins Le Mans, I think that we're going to know exactly what his plan for the future is. I don't even think it's a matter of if he wins Le Mans. 
I think it's more a matter of once he gets through back-to-back-to-back-to-back races, with one of them being a 24-hour endurance race, he's going to have a better idea of what he wants to do. When he grows up? Because, you know, he's only 36. Yeah. Um, so, that, But it, it's the drivers and everything else as well, and the wear and tear on the machinery. You know, you can't do 30 races and go, yeah, you're only getting two engines. No, no, you can't do that. That would be stupid. Um, and I do think that there's a max number of races that you can do. But again, I'm not entirely sure that shortening the weekend is your right answer. I agree with that. Um, if anything, what I would prefer to see is um, more activity on the track and more things going on, bring more cars onto the track. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we had bounced off the um, do something with your test and development drivers, things of that nature. Maybe instead of going and putting the current car, your your test and development drivers are running in, I mean, I hate to say Formula 2 cars, but there's not enough Formula 2 races to go around. There aren't The Formula 2 series doesn't fully mirror the Formula 1 series. Correct. And maybe that some of it, though, is that um, you have a tighter connection to the existing Formula One teams, but again, that's cost and all the various bits and pieces that go with that. I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is, and that's why we don't have those jobs. But I can tell you that the the public watching Formula One's opinions are like belly buttons. Yeah. And you have to learn and discern, and this is the challenge I send out to everyone trying to figure out the problem of Formula One is it's good to listen to the people watching that are paying your bills. Listen to them, but listen for what they're really saying, not what they actually are saying. <laughs> you know, understand that the, the public doesn't necessarily know what the solution should be, but they are excellent at pointing out the problem. And this is key marketing 101. The, the buyer, in this case, doesn't know what their solution should be. Don't look to them to solve your problem. Look to them to identify your problem. Yeah. Well, on the calendar front, um, for starters, Chase Carey is, has said in Manila that he thinks that the Formula One calendar is full. About time, because I were saying that they wanted more, 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 more. He was. He's he's finally come around to that 21 races, maybe 22 max. That's about the furthest that they can go. His wife complained. More than that is not. Well, he doesn't go to all the races anyway. His wife complained. Um, But that is all that they can really do. So future races, new races, would be replacements for existing races. Okay. So think about that. Who would you end up replacing at this point? Well, you know Germany's going to fall out of this thing pretty quick. Germ- Germany's pushing for new deals, but yeah, Germany could be a potential. Maybe there, there's either, and and Germany's deal expires the end of this at the, at the end of this race. Okay. And there's there's a couple other tractors I think are in a similar situation that this year is the last year for them to be hosting. 
<clears throat> they've got some flexibility on Germany. But who else do you knock off? Well, anybody that's got poor attendance. Possibly Bahrain. Mm-hmm. Possibly Azerbaijan, although the Azerbaijanis don't really appreciate that idea. Who else could Formula One sacrifice? Well, I hate to say this, but if you look at <coughs> attendance as a measure, mm -hmm. you're going to be looking, you know, on that hit list is going to be Austin. I, I don't think Austin is for two reasons. One, actually, if you look at attendance and remember, their numbers are, are 100 plus thousand. For, if I remember correctly, it's 100 plus thousand every day at the very least on Saturday and Sunday, if not Friday as well. Even with really the numbers going down. I thought they really dramatically dropped. They, they have gone down dramatically since the start of the season, but in terms of numbers, when you compare the numbers that are going to Austin as opposed to some of the European races or like oh, uh, Baku or something like that, they're still far and away much better off. Well, that's good. What about the – is it the Chinese Grand Prix that they were busing people in for and covering the, the stands? Ch China's another one that oh, – attendance has always been a problem. And, yeah, you're right. There was uh, a couple of years that they were giving away tickets and busing people in, and, and you notice towards the back half of the track, um, those aren't billboards. Those are stands that are covered up. However, he's also – you know, it, we, we've heard many times that – FOM wants additional races in the U.S. Mm -hmm. We know Miami is in play for next year. And removing Austin, the only purpose-built Formula One track in the U.S., I don't think that's high on their list. They're yeah. going to do whatever, they, as much as they can, to preserve Austin on the calendar. Yeah. So I don't think that that's a risk. I would have agreed with you on China. Except that Chase Carey also said this week that they want to develop the sport in China and they think that there needs to be a second race in China. Well, China is a very large country, so maybe it's not possible to travel to the one that they currently have. But even still, I would think that you'd have to have better attendance the one you have before you start having well, a second. What Chase has to say, he said, China and the U.S. are the two biggest economies in the world. And there are two places where we've really just scratched the surface of the potential of the sport. Developing the sport in China is probably a different path to developing it in the U.S. I think in China we'll have to look, we'll have to have Chinese partners that can help us navigate that market and really work with us as partners in the overall sport. Now, to that piece right there, I'm a little stunned. Mm -hmm. I, only a little, because you know we're coming out of the Bernie Eccleston era, and that was not great when it came to marketing to begin with. I would have thought that Formula One already had those partners, especially knowing the requirements it takes to do business in China, period. The fact that they don't have part marketing and other partners to go and assist them with that kind of staggering to me. Well, maybe they don't think that they have the level that they need. <clears throat> and that may be it too. I don't know. I mean, they've got to have something, but – Maybe they, they, they feel that they need more. Now, he goes on to say, it's important we figure out how to make sure that we enable fans in China who haven't had the chance to experience the sport to engage with it. 
Okay. And he has also confirmed that they are working very hard to get a race to Vietnam. Again, I'm not sure that that's a market that makes a whole lot of sense. Mm. Well, I'm glad. I mean, it's nice to have these races in theory that are kind of waiting in the wings because if you lose somebody like a Germany or you lose somebody along the way because they can't afford to have the race anymore, um, you you've got somebody to fill the slot. We don't wind up going down to an 18 race season yeah, because you didn't have anybody to kind of primed for it. Um, but it will be interesting. We've gotten to the point where, I mean, you and I are snots about a few things, um, just a few, where, you know, we don't like Baku. We don't like Bahrain. We're not really thrilled with Abu Dhabi um, because they're kind of tend to be, well, Baku's got its own uniquenesses, but they tend to be fairly boring races. They're not necessarily heritage locations for Formula One. And while, you know, Brazil is an absolute pit (laughs) for a race, we'd hate to see that fall off the calendar in light of something popping up in one of these nouveau riche concepts. The the thing is... I don't necessarily mind Abu Dhabi from a location perspective. Oh, you just I like think, the pretty lights. No, I, I think as a market, Formula One needs to have some presence in the Middle East. There is a lot of money there. There is a lot of passion for high-performance cars and for motorsports there. And I think having a presence in the Middle East makes sense along the same lines. I think having that presence in Abu Dhabi as opposed to Bahrain makes better sense. And I think in terms of other potential locations that Formula One could go in the region, Abu Dhabi is probably the best option. Well, okay. That, that's if your what I mean. goal is you're going to have a race in the Middle East, you, you know, that's the bar. <coughs> We're going to have a race. Mm-hmm. Abu Dhabi would be the one to have. Mm-hmm. That said... I hate the track. Um, I and find I'm not the race questioning to be utterly boring. And, and I'm not questioning any of that. But, okay, I get your point there. But understand that you and I both would be heartsick to see Hungary go. Because, you know, Monaco, Silverstone, um, and Monaco, Silverstone, Montreal, they're not going anywhere. No, they're, Japan they're not. is not going anywhere. Yeah. Um, I would say... Uh, Melbourne is not going anywhere. Well, no, I wouldn't go that far. I wouldn't go that far with Melbourne because I think if Adelaide could come up uh. with a an attractive enough package to steal that race away, Formula One would go, and I don't think necessarily a lot of people would be that upset. I mean, Melbourne would be very upset, but in terms of Formula One fans – if Formula One picked up and moved to Adelaide over Australia, I don't think there would be that much disappointment. But and it keeps Formula One in the region and in the country. Where I truly think that <clears throat> in terms of value and potential success of a race that Formula One should be looking is <clears throat> knowing the passion of the Japanese fans— mm-hmm. Why isn't there another race in Japan? 
Exactly. Japan is a country that I think could sustain a second race. Oh, I think you're right. <clears throat> China, I, 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 I think you could get much more success much faster with a second race in Japan than you ever will in China. Mm-hmm. And I think that Japan is a small enough hop that the diehard fans from China would be able to attend. Potentially. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how I don't know how often they cross over. Depending on visas and stuff. <clears throat> yeah. All right. Now that we're solving their calendar issues, what else is next? What other problems can we solve for Formula One? Well, some of the other things that, that have been floated as potentials now. Um, what about the return of active suspension? The thing that got banned because Red Bull made it work? No, that wasn't Red Bull. That was Williams. Oh, Williams made it work. It, it was Williams that made it work. And there, it wasn't just that they made it work. But that was partially a cost um, issue because mm. it was very expensive. But, yeah, the cars were incredibly successful. Um, the other reason that it was removed was to, to pull down speeds because, remember, there was a lot of concern that the cars were going too fast for the tracks, and that was causing incidents and injuries and deaths. So the slow down the cars was the other reason why it was taken away. And now we're trying to speed up the cars. Yeah. I, now, from a cost perspective, the the way that this is being proposed to bring it in is that it would be a prescribed part. Mm-hmm. So everybody would have the same system. Okay. So there wouldn't be the engineering costs of you've got to design and build an active suspension system. What I kind of wonder is would they allow the teams to have the system as a prescribed part, but the code to drive it would be developed individually by the teams, or would that be part of the bundle? That would be interesting because I would like to be able to see the teams be able to customize it. Yeah. And and how do they leverage it differently? I mean, I'm not ready for Formula One to go to a spec series. I'm just not. I'm opposed. No, I, I agree with that. But if you're going to introduce a new component like this to do it as a prescribed part, I don't think this is necessarily a bad idea. No, I, I agree with you there. I just want to see know, them be able to, you know, can they customize? How do they customize it? How do they leverage it? Can they tweak the, the code on it? You know, what can they do yeah. to maximize it at an individual team level? Yeah. Um. Pirelli has also come forward and said, hey, you guys should consider these other things. Now, one of the things we know they've been pushing is the larger wheels to go to the 18-inch wheels. They're pushing that again. Now, remember, if they were to change the wheels, it requires a dramatic redesign of the suspension of the cars. Correct. But they're pushing that. The other thing that they're testing and that they want Formula One to adopt is smart tires. So they could be controlled by my app on my phone? Possibly. No. Um, what they are, and, and Pirelli apparently, and I didn't know this, I haven't seen this, is um, they're embedding sensors into the tires. They're already available on some road cars. Oh, so Alexa, what is my tire pressure? Something like that. Alexa, change the camber of my tires. Yeah. Although that may be more of a suspension thing. Am I overheating my tires? 
did we flat spot it? Although if you don't know if you're flat spotting your tires, you but have that's problem. yeah. Alexa, how much tread left is left on my tires? There you go. Do I need to pit? No. <laughs> Alexa, where is the closest pit stop? <laughs> so that's what they're pushing for. I want to see an app on everyone's phone at a Formula One race that monitors tires. Because <laughs> that apparently is the most exciting part of Formula One right well, now. Well, that's one of the things that they want is to be able to, to deliver more metrics, more numbers. I mean, if you're a numbers geek, they so want to be I'm able to give you, you that stuff. <laughs> um, the other thing, and, and a little more near term, and I meant to have it with the the calendar stuff, but things got weird on my screen. Racefans.net has a poisoned ad, and it ticks me off every time I have their stuff up. Okay. I need to change that. Here, You guys are listening. You, you guys need to figure out who's got this poisoned ad that keeps popping up. Um, but anyway, calendar-wise, um, Chase Carey says that uh, it looks like the season finale for, for the 2019 season will be in December. Shorter winter season, yay! I, I don't know. Now, all that they're doing is they're pushing back. Um, well, for starters, they, they want to push back the uh, opening race of the season, or actually, they want to move it forward. Yeah, the article is weird. They want to move the the opening race forward to March seventeenth. Okay. So again, that feeds to your potential shorter season. But then they want to make sure that there is a two-week gap between round two and round three, which will be held in China. That will be the 1,000th World Championship race. So why they want to do it in China, I don't know, but that's where it's going to work out. Um, First half of the season, they expect to be largely the same. We don't know what's going to happen with Germany. Um then they're going to move the season finale in Abu Dhabi back a week, pushing it into December. This would be the first time since 1963 that the last race, the season finale of the Formula One season, would have been in December. Wow. Short winter season. Well, that becomes a question then as to what 2020 looks like. Short winter season. You know, in theory, they could do a short winter season because if it works out the way you think— 2020 is the would be the last year of the current generation cars with 2021 being the new one you'd think that teams wouldn't want to invest a whole lot in development Mm -hmm. because they should be shifting over to the 2021 by that point right so if you haven't heard already this week at the montreal grand prix uh the fia has added a third drs zone Yeah, I think that was pretty much the collective response to them doing this. Um, The other thing that you probably have not heard, I didn't realize this myself. Are you sure? Because you know I have my finger on the pulse of all things Montreal. Well, I know. You and Charlie Whiting are so close, you're like this. Exactly. We are just like Yes, you're in Ohio. He's over in Montreal. That's how close you guys are. He calls occasionally. 
Yeah, but it's a wrong number. I know. I don't know how he got your number in the first place, but it's always the wrong number. Well, I heard one of the drivers handed out my number to him because he was calling them too much. Mm. So they said they changed their number, and now, now he's got my number. Maybe. Anyway, um, the FIA has changed their procedure, their yellow flag procedures. What they have done is, is up until this weekend, when there was a yellow flag anywhere on the track, um, DRS was disabled. Okay. That seems to make some sense. You're supposed to slow down. You are. But if the incident was behind the DRS zone, so before you got to the DRS zone, that was where the incident was. And you're a driver that's already passed through the yellow flag section. You weren't allowed to use DRS. Uh. So they have lifted that restriction um, the only time that it is an issue now is if the yellow flag occurs in a DRS zone. Okay. Because you only have to slow down in the yellow flag sector. Correct. You do not have to slow down for the whole track. So if the DRS is in a non-yellow flag section, you could continue to go racing. Correct. Okay. Um, Charlie did not explain that when he called me. He, he keeps yelling at me that I need to stop crashing so much. I don't understand. I wish you'd stop crashing so much, too. <laughs> Moving right along. So the, the, the drawback to the original plan is that, say you're in qualifying, and you're working on, you know, you're on a hot lap, and you're at turn eight, and you're getting ready to enter that DRS zone, and a driver goes and gets into a wreck at turn one. Well, under the old system, DRS was then, would then be disabled for everybody across the entire track, and you wouldn't have that advantage of DRS on your hot lap, even though the wreck doesn't impact you. Correct. So there was talk of possibly going and saying, well, okay, what if we just did the nearest DRS zone? Apparently, software won't let them do that. Oh. It's too much of a thing. And I was actually wrong. It's... No, no, I was right. No, I was... Are you right or are you wrong? I was wrong. Are you right or are you wrong? How many times do we have to go through this? DRS will be in operation, period, regardless of where the yellow flag is. Okay. Because software couldn't do it at all. Got it. Now, that may change next year. You know, they need somebody that could code. Code well. Code at all might help, but... Yeah. So... Clearly, we are in silly season now. Oh, my word. This may be silliest of the silly... What? We have no actual news, so we're just going to keep, you know, pontificating on what might have been or what might be? Well, we have some news, at least according to McLaren. Okay. McLaren says that they have been approached by Toro Rosso to take on Lando Norris starting in Austria for the rest of the season and replace Brendan Hartley. Brendan Hartley. Well, one, Brendan needs to go get an application for the local McDonald's because that boy's going <laughs> to need a job. I don't know to- after his qualifying performance this this weekend. Well, I think that maybe we've lit a little life underneath him, but he's going to need a job. If they're already looking to trade that boy, he's going to need a job. Two, 
The kicker with this, I think McLaren was down for giving Lando up for the rest of the season, but since they don't know what's happening with Alonso, they don't want to commit because they wanted, uh, Toro Rosso wanted Lando for two years? Well, according to the BBC, um, this was... It, this was supposed to be a long – well, the proposal was a long-term deal. It was at least two years, if not longer, and that was what McLaren had an issue with. I think the other question has to be Lando is leading F2 mm-hmm. by a lot. How would this impact his F2 season? Right. Because I don't think they want to pull him out of F2 just yet. Well, there's that part too. But, you know, it would have been interesting if it was just to finish out the season and if McLaren knew what was happening with Alonso because McLaren's really banking on Lando being able to lead the team. Well, the other piece that's going on, you know, last weekend we talked about possibly Pascal Verlein. Mm-hmm. Pascal, word is, is in Montreal is this weekend. Now, he's not driving for anybody right now, so I don't know what he's doing in Montreal. Yeah, he's hanging with Nico But word is he's in Montreal. Um, Then the other piece of it on the McLaren side. So the rumor that has popped up this weekend, Mm -hmm. um, and it has been spurred on by several pictures circulating of Michael Andretti in the McLaren garage having conversations, and in McLaren hospitality, having conversations with Fernando, mm-hmm. is the, the other rumor flying is that Fernando will be announcing at some point later this season that, yes, he will, in fact, be leaving Formula One. McLaren will be potentially announcing a partnership with Andretti I, I'm, I don't know whether it'll be Andretti Herta or just Andretti Racing, but some kind of partnership with Andretti for them to field cars in IndyCar with Alonso leading that charge and possibly something in Le Mans as well. Interesting. Now, here's, here's my theory. Mm-hmm. You ready? I believe that should Fernando's team win Le Mans, this year Mm -hmm. there is no chance fernando's coming back to formula one he's going to drive indy full-time so that he can clinch the 500 because that's the triple crown of a race car driver right the only other person who has ever done that was graham hill now the the question i have for you just because it is wec are you thinking toyota gazoo racing win le mans or Fernando's car Fernando's for to- car. Toyota Lo- Because Gizzo. that's the key, okay. is that he has to be on the top step. I okay. think that's going to be the catalyst because he will have ticked off two of the three, mm-hmm. and then he's going to put all of his energy into picking up that third. Because Fernando's not stupid. He's 36 years old. This is his 300th Grand Prix, even though the, the math doesn't quite work. <laughs> um, is his 300th Grand Prix. He's been in Formula One. Are you ready for this? His Formula One career can vote. He has been in Formula One for 18 years. You know, I laugh because there's like, what, five years between Fernando and Lewis? Mm -hmm. And Lewis, 
does some interview and he's like, I remember watching Fernando when I was in, you know, when I was a kid and hoping that someday I could get to race Fernando and beat him. And now I'm sitting there thinking, you've got two more world titles than he does, but you are only five years younger. And he left the team that you were on because of, partly because of you. Because, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's that part. But, you know, I think that that's going to be the big catalyst for all of these dominoes to fall. Yes, I think that McLaren would not be wrong to have a partnership into IndyCar. I think that's actually a good thing. I think it's good for both F1, and I think it's good for Indy. Um, I, actually, I think there's three, three catalysts for this year's silly season to either completely go off the rails or be as sleepy as last year's. Okay. So Fernando is one of them. Kimmy's the other. Yep. And Ricardo's the third. Possibly Mercedes being fourth. Because I think if Mercedes thinks that Ricardo is truly in play, mm-hmm. Valtteri, unfortunately, is going to get the boot. Oh, I think that could be interesting. But I think what could usurp that is if um, Kimmy retires. Well, that that's the question as to what Ferrari did, and that's why he's one of the pieces there, is does Ferrari turn around and make big big check and big offer to grab either Ricardo or Valtteri? And the other question is, who does Seb really want? Right. Because Seb's the one that's going to get to make part of that call. I suspect that Seb would be more interested in Valtteri, mm. only because he's already been beaten fairly soundly by Daniel. But I don't know. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. Now, I mean, a couple of years ago, we had 75% of the field that needed contracts. And And they all renewed them. And everybody renewed. It was the most boring, silly season ever. And this has potential to be a great, silly season, and yet, not sure. If nothing else, this season started much earlier. True. Definitely true. Okay, what other problems can we solve in Formula One? Um, well, actually, I don't really have any other problems. Uh, it it's, was looking, speaking of Daniel Ricciardo, it was looking like he was probably going to end up with a uh, grid penalty due to the failure of his MGUK in Monaco. However, Red Bull has instead uh, managed to reuse an MGUK from an earlier re- race, and they believe that they will be able to avoid him getting a penalty and as of right now we have heard nothing that indicates that he has a penalty coming okay um but initially adrian newey came forward and said um yeah he's almost definitely getting a penalty in, in montreal wow so it looks like we should be okay there then there's max crashing yeah so max Actually, let's first play the clip of what happened at the press conference. Okay. Let's just start there. This is the Thursday press 
press conference of the weekend. Correct. Drivers and press. Sit-down press conference uh, traditionally every Thursday. I don't know who else he was with or what journalist did this. But the, the question that inevitably was asked of Max. Max, why have you had so many uh, accidents? I don't know. And um, like I said in the beginning of this press conference, I got really tired of all the questions. So, yeah, I think if I get a few more, I'll headbutt someone. So as you can imagine, many folks have gotten spun up over this and they have taken Max to task for it. My position, um, you got to remember that this is not the first time Max has been asked this question. And just in the Thursday alone, let alone the entire weekend and the previous weekend and the weekend before that and the weekend before that, he has been asked a question or some form of this question fairly consistently by probably everybody that he's encountered. If and you're, he's only 20 years old. Well, without even taking that into account, if you are a parent, you have probably heard the common refrain of mom, mom, mom. Mom, 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 same kind of thing. <laughs> and at some point, you as a parent snap. I, I get it. Yeah, it probably wasn't the wisest choice of words. Whatever. My question is, what do the journalists expect Max to be able to say to this question? To, I mean, to, let's, uh, let's get honest about what are the possible answers to the question. Why do you crash so much? Because people keep hitting me. Because I'm a stupid driver. Um, <laughs> because I made a mistake. What do you expect the answer to be? I mean, get honest about it. You're asking him the wrong question. It, it, it's like asking Pastor Mal Maldonado the same question, and, no, no. and, and I'm sure somebody was is that he had big balls. Well, that was one of the many answers, and and to some respect, that's the thing: is journalists are asking questions like this to as often as they are like this, right? So I I don't think it's as big a deal as, in particular, the British press wants to make this. Um, okay, he said it, fine, who cares? He He's frustrated. He's frustrated at you guys. He's frustrated that he's having these issues as well. He's not exactly happy about it. But the other piece of it, and this is what BBC talked about later on, is, and, and it's also kind of why I bring up Pastor Maldonado, is he's also not accepting... That's the biggest problem. ...much why of the... Any level of blame for this. Right. And to some extent, you know what? You're the driver. And we could pull back the clip from many years ago when it okay. was David Cothard and um, Alan McNish talking about Pastor Maldonado and the repeat incidents. And there's just so far that you can turn around and go, it's everybody else, everybody else, before you have to take that step back and go, well, wait a minute. If it's always everybody else, maybe it actually is me. And I loved the line that David actually used is at some point, because he went through a process that he had a bunch of crashes. Mm -hmm. He says, at one point, I had to realize that the common, the only common factor was me. Yep. That's, that's a seriously um, self-aware statement. And that's where I go back to Max is 20. 
Mm-hmm. He's not particularly self-aware. Let's remember that human development doesn't make us self-aware till our mid to late 20s. And I think race car devel- race car drivers are probably even more stunted because they have to be so self-centered. So later on, Jenny Gao caught up with Max and she asked a similar question as a follow-up, but a little different, particularly along the lines of, you know, you've had all of these incidents. Are you looking to change? Are you looking to bring on a driving coach? Or, you know, because th- we have seen that in the past. It's several drivers, including Roman Grosjean, have, have looked at driving coaches or other folks to talk to about better ways to approach it. Um, yes, Max's response is a bit of a word salad as i think you would expect but it also ties back to the he's not really accepting that he has any role in it so let's hear what max had to respond with no i'm, I'm happy how i am of course i'm not happy with how the season has gone so far but that doesn't need that uh, that doesn't mean that i need somebody with me like a, an extra person because i i know pretty well what went wrong and i think i took my lessons from that I've shown in the in the past years that I know how to do it, and just somehow this year, you know, sometimes you have that in in life, and you can see it in every every sport. You know, you give it all you got, and you prepare in the best way you can. Because I think every year you make steps, and I I think I made steps as well in the way I prepare myself. But then it's not coming out for another reason, like for some reason which you can't explain. But that doesn't mean that first of all you don't stop working. You just keep working hard. Yeah, then at one point also, you know, sometimes things will turn. And um, I feel like that's how it is at the moment. And, of course, you know, in, in Monaco it was just a big shame. But that's Monaco as well. You know, when you have a little touch with the wall, it can compromise your weekend quite badly. Then you miss the whole qualifying. You start last instead of six or seven. And then it makes it even worse. But, you know, I'm still very confident that we can we can have a, a good season from now onwards. Of course, you know, I still, I lost a lot of points. But, like I said, we can still have uh, a lot of good results. So what I love about the word salad there, that as you decode it, is that all of the reasons that Max gave as to why he shouldn't or he doesn't need to talk to somebody and look at a driver coach and look at something like this are all the reasons that you should do something like that. (laughs) All of it. I agree with you. I definitely <laughs> see exactly that. My my favorite line in his word salad is something about I know what went wrong. If something effective, I know what went wrong and what I need to fix. Then why haven't you fixed it? Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. I don't think I need to bring on another person. So you don't want to pay somebody else to help you stop running into things. Yeah. It. <laughs> okay. So, over to McLaren. They they had a pretty crummy qualifying again. Yes. Again. Um, Eric Bouillet says they know what the problem is. Are they going to fix it? Um, Are they going to get a driving coach? Well, it, it, it is the way they have to fix it that is their problem. Oh. So, what he says, he says it's the track. Oh, so it's not their engine's fault anymore. It's not their aero fault. It's now the track. Well, it, it actually, it is their aero fault. What, what he says, and it's something that has been perennially a Williams problem as well, is in terms of development, you develop your car towards specific types of tracks. 
and you're which means good on in good some tracks, tracks and you're bad in other tracks. Which is why Mercedes is strug tends to struggle on the low speed tracks is they're not developing the car as much towards the low speed tracks. Well, their problem at Mon at Montreal is the fact that Montreal has almost exclusively low speed corners. So for low speed corners, yes, you need a it's got a lot of high speed sections, but for the low speed corners, you need higher downforce. Well, the challenge there is that in order for them to do well on those low speed corners, they've got more wing, they're taking on more drag, mm. but that makes them slower in the high speed sections. Right. So that's what he says is their issue. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. That's what he says. So over at Mercedes, this week they are they, – they've hit a situation that, honestly, I'm surprised we haven't had before. So as you'll recall, when it comes to tire selection for a race weekend, teams are making decision like – well, the tire selection for Canada was made 14 weeks ago. So before the season even started. Pretty much. I, I think it was after winter testing, but before race one started. But certainly before the teams have had a chance to see the Hypersoft tire, the pink wall tire, in race action. And before they have figured out how to turn on and off these tires. Because that's been one of the things, like, in early races and in early testing mercedes was struggling with the softer compounds and i think mm -hmm. that they went in and chose harder compounds because they had figured that part out better that was some of it they had also they had come to the conclusion in barcelona now admittedly the weather wasn't great but they had come to the conclusion in barcelona that they really weren't going to be thrilled with the hypersauce because of how high the degradation was mm -hmm. so as a result they didn't pick a whole lot of Hypersoft tires for this weekend. They've got a couple, but they couldn't run on those tires until qualifying. Okay. So they're now regretting that decision quite a bit. Well, I'm sure they are with Lewis sitting in fourth right now. Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised we haven't run into this situation sooner. I, I agree with you. I mean, but I think this is one of the reasons why we're going to see it is because they do make those decisions far in advance. And with the change in the compounds and the addition of newer compounds, they don't know how to turn them on and off. And I think Mercedes gambled safe. Yeah. And it's coming back to bite them. Yeah. And Toto Wolf says that, you know, this could be one of those decisions that could have a big impact on the championship. We shall see. So this is shaping up to be a difficult weekend for Haas. Yes. So going into the weekend, before anything had occurred, the team went to the drivers and said, hey, look, we're bringing upgrades. We've got an upgraded aero package with new barge board and front wing for both of you. We don't have spares. Don't crash. <laughs> no, I'm serious. They actually told the drivers, you guys got to be really careful. Gunther Steiner said it's a very lean spare situation to say the least, but we wanted to bring it here. Sometimes you have to make, a, make the step or you keep dragging on. Everyone is aware of it. We try to manage as best we can. No crashes this weekend. Okay. Um, which sounded great 
until free practice two when Roman Grosjean destroyed his front wing after hitting a marmot that was running across the track. Okay, just because the marmite was um, marmot, not marmite. That's different. The marmot, very different. From- was going through gang initiation, darting out in front of F one cars to prove his manhood, and lost. <laughs> Poor Roman Grosjean. Actually, what it was, the marmot had just come home and found on the table at his house the Dear John letter. You think Mrs. Marmot said goodbye? Either that or he, he found Mrs. Marmot with the postman. I'm not sure which. There is not a Marmot postman. I'm sorry. <laughs> we've carried this a little too far. Milkman? UPS. Well, you know, this has been a week of celebrity suicides. So the marmot okay, wanted to that be. That might have been. The line was just crossed there. <laughs> he wanted to be part of the news story. Um, yeah, that line might have just been crossed. I'm going there. back to gang initiation. Okay. Um, Roman commented on it. He said it was a big impact. It was a big animal. It was a bit disappointing because they showed it on TV before the beginning of the session at turn 13, and that's exactly where I hit it. I'm surprised they didn't move it. It's a shame for the animal, of course, and it's a shame for our front wing as well. Because, like we mentioned, we are quite limited on spare parts, and losing a front wing like this is a bit disappointing. It felt like a big impact. If that happens to you in a race, your race is over. The damage was quite big. Okay, so apparently um, Formula One has no connections with PETA because (laughs) they still have, uh, in various news sources... The footage from the camera right over the driver's head of him hitting said animal. It is not pleasant. No, it wasn't. Um, You can clearly see it running across the track. Um, Meanwhile, um, Max Verstappen's Godzilla lizard from uh, Singapore is going, that's not how you do it, man. I know. (laughs) Well, there was that or the seagulls that Vettel was protecting and caring about the seagulls. Yeah. So apparently we have one non-animal lover in the F1 paddock. So that was issue number one. Now, as a reminder, we are recording this between events. Mm-hmm. So the uh, Grand Prix has not even occurred yet because we're recording this Sunday morning pre-Grand Prix. Um, and at this point, we don't even know if Roman will get the opportunity to run in the Grand Prix. And that would be because coming out of the garage for qualifying in Q1 um, – the engine blew up. Yeah, he had so much smoke coming out of the back end of his car that I made the comment, and you snickered, that we're not supposed to burn oil as fuel. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that was the theory that um, Martin Brundle and David Croft had over on— That it was burning oil. Yeah. The reality is it sounds like it was a complete engine failure. Now, this was an upgraded engine. I was going to say, weren't they supposed to get new engines this— this was an upgraded engine, and it suffered a complete engine failure. Now, I assume that they they can replace the engine, but where the question is about him starting is since he did not set a time in qualifying, the stewards can prevent him from running in the race. Correct. That being said, given that in practice I, I'm— 
pretty sure that he managed to set a time that was within the 117 percent that they will allow him to start either from the back of the grid or the pit i'm not sure which it's 107 percent by the way 107 and yeah it would be it would be a pretty stunning thing if they said garjan could not race and the reason i would say that is it would be more about his more recent incidents it would be more telling if they were going to leverage that and say, no, you really need to sit out because he did set times that would put him within the pack. And an engine failure historically does not cause somebody to get pulled out of the race like this. Yeah. Now, me personally, just knowing the layout of the track and some of the history, if I was Grosjean and I was Haas, I would elect to start this one from the pit lane. Yeah, I would. I was right there with you. Let you in past turn one, and by the time you get to turn two, if there's been an incident in either one of those locations, you've got the time that you can react Mm -hmm. and possibly get some pretty good position out of that. Yeah. Now, this is one you start from the pit if you've got a choice. So we'll see what happens. Um, Overall, Roman's feeling is that you just got to kind of laugh at this. Um, I would pull up the Daniel Ricciardo thing of of when Red Bull was having the worst luck with their engines of, yeah, it's so sad that if I wasn't laughing, I'd be crying. Mm -hmm. Um, That's kind of his feeling at this point, that that's all we can do. He's hoping that he's used up all of his bad luck at this point because... Because if he didn't (coughs) have bad luck, he'd have no luck at all. Yeah, pretty much. The other thing maybe, that maybe marmots bring good luck and their death. I don't know. It, now you do know that the um, mascot for the track is a groundhog, which is very close relative to the marmot. Yeah, and um, apparently the mascot and Grosjean had uh, a conversation later. They've made then, up with each other. Yes, there has been forgiveness on the. Uh, the animal side. Yeah. We're hoping that this was not a special marmot to the specific man-sized groundhog. The other thing that Roman was involved in is Roman and both Pierre Gasly over at Toro Rosso uh, tested out uh, what I guess could be called camera glasses. And they're exactly what they sound like. They're a pair of glasses that have a camera embedded on them to try on the track. Now, there's some challenges with this, which as a result, Roman said that they were rather painful, um, is that meant you were wearing glasses underneath your helmet. And that's not a comfortable thing. No, he said it, it was really painful um, and that especially under high G situations, they tended to move around a little bit. Um, and this was, he only wore them on an installation lap. So it wasn't even like he was running at full speed. That being said, he's viewed the footage, and he said it's fantastic. I wonder if the the idea is to see if the footage is worth developing it into the helmet. That's exactly what the idea is. Um, is They, they want to get as close to a driver's eye view of camera footage as possible for this. And they've been trying a couple of different things. We've seen some other views that have been released of the driver's view with the halo. Mm-hmm. Um there's a couple of different solutions that uh, Formula One is playing with. 
Um, Grosjean described this as about as close to the point of view that you get um, when you use driver's point of view in the video games. Oh, wow. That was the level that this had. He said, but you truly get the impression of speed from this camera angle. You see, um, you know, the, the onboard camera is pretty well stabilized, so you don't necessarily see the bumps or the wobbles or any of that. He said, you can see it with this. It is just as the driver sees it. Oh, wow. So it could be very interesting. That could be awesome, actually. But I would hope that they do it in a way that doesn't hurt the drivers. Yeah. I don't want them distracted while they're going around at 300 kilometers per hour. Um, so Kimi Raikkonen was er asked earlier this year if he, had, he was hoping to return to uh, World Rally Championship sometime in the future. Now, Kimi has been in WRC before. Um, he After he got dropped by Ferrari at the end of 2009, he spent 2010 and 2011 in WRC and enjoyed it, really mm -hmm. liked doing it. Um, so his answer was that, you know, maybe for some races or for, some, or for fun, he hopes he could do it. Um, there was reports on Finnish media that uh, said that Tommy Mackinnon Racing, which runs Toyota's WRC program, could be interested in running uh, Raikkonen as a driver should he end his spell in Formula One. Okay. However, this past week, Toyota sporting director Kaj Lindstrom says that, yeah, I don't know anything about this. It's the first I've heard of it. He said, if anything like this was going to happen, I would have been the first to hear about it from Tommy or from Kimmy. So for me, this is pure speculation. Interesting. So that brings us into our next story for World Rallycross. Okay. Um, word is out that for 20, the 2020 WRC season, they will be shifting to fully electric cars. Oh, with the electric powertrain and systems being supplied by Williams Advanced Engineering. Ooh. So Williams is extremely excited about this. Now, Williams also supplies the electric power systems and powertrain for Formula E, if I remember correctly. Well, that's got to be helpful for the bottom line. That's huge for them. Williams is very excited about this. Well, that's really cool. Yeah. I think that'll be a really cool thing for them. So that's all I've got. Okay. Um, what are your theories on who's going where and what is going to fall? For, which of the cards, if any, are going to fall first for the driver's season? We, we've speculated on this in the past. I know we've got some new listeners around the globe who are listening that have popped up in the last couple of weeks. So if you did not know, and I know you're, I, I know this because I'm looking at the stats on the page, please leave a comment uh, for the show, what you think, who the, the, who's going to drop first when it comes to the cards and what drivers are going where uh, at www.theblokeandabird.com or over on Facebook. Just go look up The Bloke and a Bird Show. You'll find us. Okay. I have an answer. Do you want an answer? No, I want everybody's speculation. Okay. I, I didn't know e who even, you was in the, the e you question. Even if you think that the card that's going to fall is Pascal Verline, please share. Marcus Erickson. Hey, Marcus Erickson is doing pretty good this season. Don't knock the Erickson. 
yeah, actually, he kind of, I, I can't knock it too much. I mean, obviously, he's being outshone by Leclerc, but. Except that he's making me bunches of points in the fantasy league. Oh, is that league. it? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so go Erickson. And on that note, we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay. Whew.